Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 28 Days Ladier. I'm your host, Sophie, joined as always by my dear friend, younger sister, and co host, Hannah. How's it going, Hannah? Um, pretty good. <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, listeners of the podcast don't know, but I do, that you have been battling an illness, and it's the worst time of year to be doing that because it's so cold and gross out. So we're happy to have you. Yeah, so I'm happy to hear that when we were sort of sound checking everything. Um, I didn't sound super, like, stuffy-nosed or anything. I don't want to sound like the teacher from Charlie Brown. (laughs) But I definitely haven't breathed, like, out of my nose in, I think, a good, like, four days. Yeah, that'll happen. That's not a fun feeling. (laughs) Yeah, it was also super not fun um, for my companion who had to witness me wake up several times with, like, gasping for air. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Because when I would fall asleep, like, I'd fall asleep with my mouth open, but I'm not a – I don't sleep with my mouth open (laughs) usually. Um, So eventually my mouth would close, and then I wouldn't be able to breathe, and I would, like, Just startle yourself awake. Yeah. Which – That's terrifying. You know, you know, it does happen to me a decent amount, but – this was, like, even more so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you wake up startled under the absolute best of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone could come into your room really gently with, you know, soft sunlight streaming in the windows and very quietly say, good morning, Hannah, and you would just, like, scream in utter uh, abject horror. So, uh, so yeah, I can imagine that that was stressful. <laughs> yeah, and more recently I've developed a thing, too, where um, sometimes when I wake up that way, like unrelated, not even, I don't mean just like when I have a cold, but in general, um, I've had this happen like a couple of times, um, where when someone tries to wake me up and I wake up startled, I smack them. (laughs) Oh, like if they're close enough, I'll like punch or kick or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Well, then I'm talking about, sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) You talking about being stuffy uh, made me think of, so I'm training for a marathon uh, that's in two weeks, and I know you're doing the half um, with some other members of our family, and I'm going to do the full, um, and I've been using a coach that our brother has used as a running coach. It's my first time ever trying to use a running coach, Um, and there's a thing that he's been having me do where every once in a while when I go out to do a run, he'll have me um, only breathe through my nose. And the idea is that if you're doing any kind of exercise and only breathing through your nose, it's harder. You get winded more easily and it's a better workout for your heart. It's supposed to help you um, become more efficient in the way you use and transmit, uh, I guess, oxygen in your blood while you're exercising. Hmm. Um, and because it's winter time, I feel like basically every time I have to go out and do a run with only breathing through my nose, I'm just constantly like blowing snot rockets because I like can't <laughs> breathe at all. And so I have to like pause my watch and just like blow my nose into the grass and then keep running. It's uh, a really good look. <laughs> I'm sure it's really enjoyable for anyone who has had the misfortune of seeing me do it. Hey, I've, I mean, I am not gonna lie. I definitely have like hocked up some gook on the street the last couple days doing like no physical activity more than just walking yeah (laughs) 
Have you? So did you go out or do anything uh, brunch related or fun over the weekend, or were you mostly confined to your home? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> no, I took a sick day from work on Friday, which um, people who know me well know that I like never take off work. So um, taking a sick day was like a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And then Saturday, mm-hmm. I was still pretty much just like. In bed and trying to get myself on the mend. Yeah. Sunday, I guess I kind of did that, too. And again, last night after I got home from work. So, <laughs> uh, no. Um, did you do anything, Wrenchy? Well, I did enough this weekend for the both of us and probably all of our listeners. Um, Glad so to hear it. I, I spoiled this a little bit, or I teased it on the last episode, but um, this past weekend was Panic Fest here in Kansas City. Um, the independent theater that Jeremy and I love is called Screenland Armor, and they host a horror film festival every year in January. That's super fun. This is our third year going. Um, and typically what we do is... We've had guests in town for the last couple years, and so we don't go for the whole festival. We sort of pick and choose and go to a couple movies. I think we're both hoping next year to like get a pass and go for the whole festival because they just show um, an unbelievable amount of movies, and there's lots of really good options. And this is the first year that we were planning to buy passes, and then we didn't sort of at the last minute. And as a result, this was the first year ever that we have not been able to get into movie screenings because they were sold out, Um, which if we had had a pass, we would have been able to get in. Um, So we're definitely going to do it next year. Um, But it was super fun. Uh, I got to see a couple really cool movies. I'm going to try to remember them all so I can tell you about them. Um, We saw The Color Out of Space, which is the new um, Nicolas Cage uh, movie. It's directed by Richard Stanley. It's an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft movie. Um, it was super weird. Uh, so we saw I'm that. I'm shocked. Um, yeah, we saw that. Let's see what else. We saw an Argentinian uh, horror film called Rock, Paper, Scissors that I don't even know if I would strictly classify it as horror. It was kind of more like a very stressful, dark comedy slash thriller. It, it was very strange, but it was good. Um we saw the new uh, movie by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Uh, fans of the genre might know they've done other movies. They did Resolution and Spring and The Endless, all of which are um, pretty good. I'm not a huge fan of Resolution, um, but The Endless and Spring, I Me really, either. really like. Me I like to hold a grudge. <laughs> um, they had a new movie out called Synchronic, which is their first, like, bigger budget movie um so anthony mackie and jamie dornan and katie asselton were all in it um that might have been one of my favorite things we saw at the festival it's sort of set in new orleans and jamie dornan and anthony mackie are paramedics in new orleans who um, keep getting called to scenes where this weird like designer synthetic drug is killing people but in sort of weird otherworldly uh ways it's really interesting Um, and then on the last day, we saw a movie called After Midnight by the guys that did The Battery, which is a cool... Um, oh, I love The Battery. Yeah, The Battery was a really cool indie zombie movie. Um, After Midnight is, I would say, definitely not really a horror movie so much as a, it's a weird, like, uh, dark relationship comedy. Um, I can't speak to it because I uh, may or may not have slept through part of it, Um but that's because I had to run for three and a half hours that morning before going to the movies. Um, 
And we, last but not least, we saw a movie called Extraordinary, which was an Irish movie um, starring, well, not starring, but featuring Will Forte. Um, that was a really fun sort of paranormal comedy that was very good. So Panic Fest was super fun. Um, and I did get to do brunch the last day that everybody was here. We took our friends to the Phoenix, which is a restaurant and music venue here in Kansas City and they do a jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday so they have uh, live music and so we went and that was super fun jazz Um, brunch sounds amazing it is really good there was a place uh, called Bufa's that was right down the street from the church I went to in New Orleans that had a jazz brunch um, that was really good and the Phoenix I mean Newer, or Kansas City jazz is really good. It's not for me going to compare to New Orleans jazz. They're ju- but they're also just different things. Um, mm-hmm. But the food of the Phoenix especially is really amazing. Plus, you can get a picture of mimosas for like fifteen dollars, which is hey yo truly delightful. I like um, the sound of that. Yeah, and I have to share just like a funny story. Um, the highlight of my entire weekend was um, that I have. <laughs> I had, I was wearing this pair of underwear one of the days that just like has a cosmic looking pattern on it. And Mm -hmm. so just as a joke, one night we were getting in bed and I turned to Jeremy and I said, look, color out of space, butt." and Jeremy kind of laughed. And then he goes, I don't get it. And I said, what? And he goes, because they're like mountains. And I said, what? And he goes, Colorado space, butt." (laughs) <laughs> I was like, no, 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 honey, no. <laughs> Colorado Space Butt, new band name. I Colorado it. Space Butt, right? So I've been saying that all weekend, um, also, much um, to Jeremy's chagrin. I had to say I'm a little uh, hurt that the highlight of your weekend was not calling me when you were wasted. Oh, no. I'm going to be totally honest. I don't entirely remember. <laughs> Fill me in. Like, I do remember talking to you. But what day did it happen? Um, I it was it was on Saturday, wasn't it? Saturday, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was um at home. I had been in bed mm-hmm. for multiple days, and I was uh I was trying to make my bed because I washed my sheets to try to. Okay. Yes, I remember all this myself. now. You were so winded. <laughs> yes, I was getting so winded trying to make my bed because I couldn't. Because you're sick and you couldn't breathe. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, you were like, stop making your bed and talk to us. <laughs> what were we at? Were you, we called you to ask you a question, didn't we? Um, <laughs> yes, you guys each made a noise. And then I had to guess what animals you guys were trying to sound like. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, right, because I wanted to do my turkey sound. Yes, which, admittedly... Your turkey sound was spot on. Thank you. I can't wait for Jeremy to listen to this so that I can be validated. <laughs> also, the whole time you were talking, I was trying to think of some kind of a joke about what a jazz brunch could also be, like, something with when you've been, like, out playing your saxophone all night mm-hmm. and you just, like, roll into a gas station <laughs> buy like a airplane bottle of vodka and then like stab open a bottle no a can of like tomato soup with your guitar pick and dump the vodka in oh Hannah, jazz brunch so upsetting so upsetting <laughs> i mean yeah i guess you're not wrong you're not some wrong. kind of i was trying to think of some 
other kind of meaning a jazz brunch could take on. <laughs> but, you know, um, I also like the idea of spending some portion of the rest of my life trying to find out what a jazz brunch truly is. Yeah, well, come to visit Kansas City. We'll take you to one. <laughs> There's the House of Blues in Chicago does a gospel brunch. Ooh, I want to do that. It's supposed to be really fun. So that's like on my um, my list at the moment. Once yeah, I, I mean, that a awesome. get better, b start drinking again. <laughs> right. Um. Well. Do you want to move into our review for this week? Because I feel like we have so much to unpack, and I'm very excited. Absolutely. I feel like there was something else I had wanted to say about the weekend. Um, And now that I'm here, I can't remember what it is. So forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um. I have definitely had that experience where it's just like, and it's gone. And it's gone. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, when you think of it, you can uh, stop me. But we're going to be discussing a film called The Innocence, which is from 1961. Now, if you listened to our episode last week, you might be confused because we said we were going to talk about a new movie that was just released last week called The Turning. Um, both movies are an adaptation of the Henry James novella, The Turning of the... I'm sorry, The Turn of the Screw. Um... But Hannah texted me over the weekend and was basically like, I'm sick and this movie is getting terrible reviews and I don't want to see it. Um, so I was basically like, if I'm going to pull myself out of bed to go out in public, I don't want it to be for something that I'm going to be like miserable watching. Right. Hannah basically said, you already made me see one movie this year that CinemaScore gave an F to, and I don't want to see another one. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, which did happen. So, And you know what? Uh, this is... Half my podcast. So you know what? We did that. We switched. We switched things around and we didn't tell anyone. Yeah. Because that's how we run this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've gotten this impression from listening to our other episodes, but uh, we joke about this being homework. This is not real school, you know, like we're going to switch the homework sometimes on you. So, uh, so yeah. So we're going to be talking about The Innocence. It's a 1961 film. Um, directed by Jack Clayton and starring uh, Deborah Kerr. It's a really uh, interesting uh, sort of psychological horror film. I'm going to cut that burp. Leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's a a psychological horror film where this uh, young woman whose name is Miss Giddens moves to um, the, like, country estate of this wealthy younger man um, who lives in London, and he basically tells her, I have this niece and nephew. They are orphans. I need you to go and take care of them and be their governess, essentially sort of be their their live-in nanny. Um, And he basically says to her, like, I don't want anything to do with the decision-making. I don't want to hear about it. Like, you're in charge yep, of them. Like, you are on your own with yeah. everything. Yeah, he's basically like, Including I don't want to be bothered. Lives. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she moves out to this estate, and she is immediately really taken with both of the kids. There's a, a little girl named Flora, who I believe is supposed to be six or seven, and then there's her older brother, Miles, who's ten. Um, and she is totally infatuated with both kids pretty quickly. Um 
but she sort of starts to notice odd things around the house and she becomes suspicious that the children are aware of the odd things that are happening and are pretending not to be. And so it's this really interesting story of sort of her um, either becoming aware of some supernatural stuff going on in the house or slipping into madness. And I think the movie sort of leaves that ambiguous as to what is happening to her. Um, so, so that's the, the general plot of the movie. Um, but Hannah, I'm wondering what you thought of this film. Well, that is actually going to lead me into, um, a new segment that I like to call other movies that this movie reminded me of. Okay. Um, so my whole first like beginning of my notes was um, movies that I was like, oh, shit, I wonder if Sophie has seen these, and if she hasn't, we need to add it to our list. Um, but have you ever seen the Alfred Hitchcock movie, Rebecca? I have not. Okay, so that was, like, his first, um, like, I think it's his first movie, like, his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's similar in some of the... Um, so that one's from 1940, but it's similar in kind of like the vibe where um, this like young woman meets this handsome uh, widower and she moves to his elaborate estate mm-hmm. and she, the whole thing is like she can't decide if she's actually being haunted by his previous wife, Rebecca, mm-hmm. um, or if like she's going crazy. Um, so that's another great one that uh has a lot of sort of similar charm and vibe and then um which i think if since you haven't seen it might you know work to add to our list for sure um that one and then also night of the hunter Mm -hmm. um, which is 1955 and was like revolutionary for its time um you haven't seen that one yet either I have and not. I definitely think we should try to do that one soon I watch that movie like every year for Halloween um, oh cool yeah I love it so much just because it's like such an early example of a horror movie mm-hmm. um, and they did all kinds of crazy things with the camera in that movie and it's like from 1955 which makes it even more impressive there's mm-hmm. like they filmed underwater it's crazy Wow. Um, but yeah so watching this like when I sat down and sort of started getting into it, I was like, okay, I am ready for this. Like, I am into this. Um, because I want to stop you really quick because I want – I just – I'm curious when you – because we talked about this a little bit before we started the episode, but you didn't want to get into it because you wanted to save it for the show, which I'm glad you did. Um, but I'm curious that when you talk about those films being similar – and you talk about the vibe. Do they have similar plots? I mean, it sounds like Rebecca does to some extent. Um, well, yeah. Like, so Rebecca is very similar where um, it's, an, it's a new young woman in, mm-hmm. a, like, old rich family's estate. And there's no one um, around except for, like, the servants for her to talk to. And, like, right. no one's, you know, giving her any answers. Um, mm-hmm. Night of the Hunter is um, mm, it's darker for sure um, but that's about um, like a mother and her two kids and she starts dating this preacher and her uh-huh. kids are like 
yo, something's not right about that guy. Mm, okay. Um, <clears throat> so it's a little different, but it also has a lot of interesting – Night of the Hunter, because he's a preacher, has a lot of um, interesting uh, allusions and just, like, an interesting relationship with faith. Sure. Which that came up in this movie, too. Um, so, like, with the little, like, prayer at the beginning. And I, I, do, I think that Night of the Hunter – might also start with whispering like this movie did, mm-hmm. um, like on a black screen. Yeah. Um, the, the only reason that I asked was because of the, especially when you were describing the plot to Rebecca, the, the reason I ask is just that um, when the similarities have to do with the, with the plot rather than the sort of overall tone or techniques of the movie, that like this is, of course, based on a story that was written in like 1898, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just mean, like, I, I love, like, um, more, I guess, in terms of It and Rebecca, mm-hmm. just because it's an older movie, the way that the girl is, like, <laughs> like asking people so many questions, and people mm-hmm. will just, like, smile and be like, hmm, like, okay, and then, right. like, not answer her and just be like, have some tea, sure. <laughs> or, like, it's time for breakfast. Like, the way that people just, like, casually ignore each other. Um, right. Is so charming. <laughs> mm-hmm. In right. a way. It's like this, like, um, kind of, like, happy gaslighting done with, like, a smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That feels, um, yeah, like, charming in some way. Some of my, like, uh, feelings toward the movie um, being a nanny myself, a -hmm. lot of the way that the children were behaving, I was like, not in my house. Right. Um, (laughs) Like, when Miles is riding the horse and getting, like, increasingly erratic and just straight up ignoring um, the governess, I was like, that would never fly. (laughs) Right. With me. Um, But uh, I just, like, one of the first things I wrote is, is first meeting so many red flags, and she's just like, okay. The meeting <laughs> with the with the uh, the guy that's going to employ her. Yeah, just the interview. <laughs> and she's just like, sounds good. He's like, um, you're all on your own. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, weird things might happen, and I don't want to hear anything about it. I basically right. don't care at all. <laughs> I think they get into this more in the book, but I definitely think that uh, we, especially in the in the in the source material, Miss Giddens is really young. She's twenty. I mean, obviously, um, Deborah Kerr is a little older than that in the movie, which I think makes it a little bit difficult. But I think we're really supposed to feel like she is applying to this job that she's not really qualified for and is going to pay her a lot of money, so she's just happy to. Yeah. Take it, which makes the red flags point, easier to like, sort of I like really paper over. Any. She's like, I don't even have right. any experience. And he's like, who right. cares? <laughs> right. Like she's not at all qualified for this job. Um, and I have to imagine that in some capacity, as stunning as it is now, um, in some capacity, I imagine. So The Innocence is this story was written in 1898, and this story takes place uh, around that same time, maybe a little, maybe it takes place 30 years after that. I forget when the movie is set. 
Um, but I also feel like there's this there's this element that at the time the movie was set, I can't imagine it would have been that unusual for a for a wealthy man to hire someone to go look after his kids or mm-hmm. his charges. But I also imagine it probably wouldn't be that unusual for that wealthy man who isn't the dad, right, and do- didn't really want to have these kids in his life anyway, to basically say, like, I don't want to be bothered. Um, yeah, I mean, he says, like, children, he says they, they stay full-time in the country. And mm-hmm. then he says, children belong in the country. That's what I think. Yeah. And then he's like, not for me. I love the city. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has no desire to be near them or do anything with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I first became aware of this movie because um, – our family friend Trina had asked Jeremy if I and I if we'd ever seen it or if I had read the book, um, and I hadn't. And then I bought the book at a store called The Haunted Bookshop uh, in Mobile, Alabama, when I was there for a work trip last spring, and have never read it. So I was familiar with the story. Um, and so when the trailers for The Turning came out, I was really excited that they were going to do a sort of updated version and I, I am going to watch it. I will probably wait for DVD. Um, so I'll report back in a couple months and let you guys know how it was. But, um, yeah, I was really excited to watch this movie. I had actually, before seeing it, I listened to um, the podcast Switchblade Sisters, which is hosted by April Wolf, who was one of the co-writers of Black Christmas that we talked about on our show. Um, she has a podcast where she talks to women in horror um, and women in filmmaking about their favorite genre film. So I had actually listened to an episode that she did about this movie uh, a couple of months ago because she had Jennifer Kent on who directed uh, The Babadook and Nightingale. Um, And Jennifer Kent had picked this movie. Um, So I was really, really excited to watch it for our show. And um, I just, I thought this movie was stunning to look at. Um, Yeah. There's this really, so a lot of the movie is shot in the dark. um, And the movie is shot in black and white. And they talk in Switchblade Sisters about how, um, and I did a little bit of reading about this too. They had to have special candles made that had like five wicks in them. So that they would be bright enough that if Deborah Kerr was carrying around a candelabra, you'd be able to see things. Um, That's also. Yeah, and also, in order to, um, even the shots that look like they're at night, that look dark, obviously, in order for her to be walking around with a candle, you need a lot more light than that for the camera to pick up what's happening. So on set, it was actually really bright most of the time. And I read one of the facts on IMDb was that Deborah Kerr, between takes, would wear sunglasses because it was so bright in the in the <laughs> sets, even when they were filming night scenes. Um So you have these really creepy scenes where she's walking around in the dark, sort of carrying candelabras around. And also the um, cinephotographer um, for this movie, whose name was Freddie Francis, he made a bunch of um, filters that he put on the camera that would blur the edges, which I don't know if you noticed that, but it's like they had a couple of different ones, but the main one made it so that there was sort of, it, it was not super distinct, but whatever was in the center of frame was much more in focus and it would kind of bleed out as it went outwards. Um, which sort of when, when they use it, especially when it's like on Miss Giddens' face when something scary happens, has a really cool effect where it sort of feels like it makes her look even more isolated because everything else is so sort of distorted and, mm-hmm. um, and out of focus. Um, 
Let's see. Oh, the other thing I wanted to just shout out really quick, because I'm going to just sort of like nerd out on the spec stuff because I had read about it today. Wait, but before um, you get too too far past it. Yes. Um, I was just going to say um, in terms of, um, you know, talking about the, the new one that just came out um, and how like we'll both probably see it when it's released. Yeah. Um, Maybe we'll do an episode on it later when it's when it's not in theaters and you're yeah. not sick. Um, I just was like wondering um, from a st- like a story point of view, I guess, um, with the opening interview, um, since this movie is from 1961, you know, it's not like people were sitting in the theater and saying, well, oh, I've seen this movie, you know, 10 times already. Or like no one's like right. screaming at the at the screen, like, don't go in there. Right. Um, so I feel like I I would be interested in the newer movie to see how they handle like mm-hmm. the red flags or the creep factor without it being quite so obvious because you can't really get away with that anymore. Sure. Right. That's just something um, I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that'll be really interesting to see. I mean, I think there's a lot of elements of this story that works so well because the book is written and the film is set um, in a time where you can really kind of lean on this Gothic style of big imposing structures and, and you don't have phones and internet and other modern technology that I think a lot of the stuff that's so effective in this movie, I don't know how it would work when you move it up. You know, yeah. Years well, into and the it's kind of like um, if you think about this, like 1961, and how the sort of like big, scary, old money family versus like a young woman who's just kind of doing it because she needs the money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely some. Uh, gosh, my brain is like not working because I'm sick. <laughs> That's all right. I'm so heavily medicated right now. Um, there's definitely some commentary going on there is what I'm getting at. Right. No, I see <laughs> what you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're – it'll be interesting to see what the uh, what the new movie does. And I think now, like, as we're sort of talking about the stuff that this movie did, just from a technological standpoint, I will be intrigued to see if the new movie – I mean, a lot of things in the trailer just make the new movie look like it's going to be just another pretty by the book um, theatrical release horror as far as the visuals of it and the look and style. So that'll be sort of interesting. Um, One of the things that I learned listening to the Switchblade Sisters episode, and and I'll link to that in our show notes. um, We can start doing that now when we when we reference stuff, because I want you all to be able to find that stuff if you want it. Um, but this movie, the sound designer for this movie was a woman. Her name's Daphne Orem, and she actually wasn't credited. Um, but this movie pioneered the use of synthesized electronic sound, um, in movies. And there are some really weird, creepy elements of the sound design in this. Most notably for me was the scene where, um, Miss Giddens first sees, Quint's ghost and all of the sound just drops out and it's mm-hmm. silent um, to the point that for a moment I thought maybe my speaker had broken um, 
and then realized that it was intentional and it was it just like created such immediate dread and anxiety when there was no sound yeah i had a similar feeling because i watched the movie because it's the whole thing is free on youtube mm-hmm. <laughs> so i was watching it on youtube and i was like oh no <laughs> like the sound's a bad upload <laughs> yeah um, also, just I have so I'm gonna run through my fun facts and then we can skip past them because these are all just n- sort of nerdy things. But um, this this movie was based on obviously was an adaptation of the book, but then was based on a stage play that William Archibald had done in the I think in 1950. Um, so William Archibald worked with Truman Capote, who actually took a break from writing In Cold Blood to come help do the screenplay for this movie. Whoa. Um, also, in an interview with, I think, with USA Today, um, let's see. Yeah, in 2011, Guillermo del Toro chose this as one of his six favorite fright flicks, which just, like, really that warms my heart because so del Toro is one of my <laughs> favorite uh, horror directors. And, yes, like, this this movie so, so succinctly fits within sort of the kind of themes that he likes to work in. Yeah, well, especially, like, um, um, Crimson Peak. Right, right. Um, And my last nerdy genre fun fact is that um, in the Gore Verbinski version of The Ring that came out in 2002, 25 seconds into the cursed video, you can hear like the sound of a young boy singing and it's it is Miles singing from The Innocents, (laughs) which like gives me the willies. Yeah, I gotta say that kid was real creepy. Yeah, let's talk about him because he is so phenomenal. So we sort of touched upon it in the beginning when I was explaining the plot, but what what Miss Giddens discovers is that there were two people who had been employed by her boss who died at or near the house. So under sort of weird or suspicious circumstances. So there was Mr. Quint, who was the um, her boss's the boat valet. Captain. <laughs> Did you say the boat captain? Yeah, Captain Quint. Oh, Captain Quint. Oh, yeah. I see what you're doing. Wow, <laughs> I should get that Jaws joke. Good grief. Um, so yeah, was, now who's the sick brain one? There was yeah, right. There was a uh, Mr. Quint, and then you had the governess that worked there before her, whose name was Miss Jessel. Um, and the one staff member who we sort of meet and spend time with in the movie is named Mrs. Gross. She's sort of the I don't even know what her title would be. She's sort of the the woman in charge of the house. Um, right, which. You'd think a governess would kind of be... Right, that's what I wanted to call her. So, But she worked really <laughs> closely with Miss Giddens um, and, you know, helps with the kids and stuff like that. So little by little, Miss Giddens starts seeing Quint and Miss, Miss Jessel around the grounds of the home um, and doesn't know anything about them and then sort of explains to... Um, Mrs. Gross, these people that she's seeing, and Mrs. Gross gets very scared because those both those people are dead. Um, and well, and and um, early on, like very early on, like her first night in the house when she's putting uh, Flora to bed, mm-hmm. they hear like this weird kind of like scream gurgle noise. Yes, and um, Flora says like we we don't hear that like we don't right like we pretend we don't hear it yeah because she she says like um if we pretend we don't hear it then 
we won't imagine it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, very counterintuitive and very creepy. She also has a really creepy line that first night when she's giving Miss Giddens a tour of the house. And she oh, yeah. says that um, Mrs. Gross wanted to put Mrs. Giddens in a bigger room. And... Um, Flora insisted that she be put in a small room because big rooms get bigger at night, which is just like... Yeah, and then she says, I like the dark. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Also, um, during that first conversation, she goes to say her prayers before bed, mm -hmm. and she goes to say um, the as I lay me down to sleep prayer, but she mixes up the words. So instead of saying... Um, as I lay me down to sleep, um, I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. She says, if I should wake before. Oh, right. Yeah. And then she goes, oh, like I made a mistake. What a great catch. Yeah. Yeah. So when I saw that, I didn't know anything about the movie really going into it. So I clocked that and I was like, ooh, so either like the little girl's dead or there's like like something's going on. I thought the little girl yeah. was dead. I didn't know that she was like possessed. Yeah, it's sort of ambiguous. Um, I think so. <coughs> Miles is not at the house originally. Um, they get a letter shortly after Miss Giddens arrives that he has been uh, expelled from school, basically. And then he comes or home making the other kids um, uncomfortable. Yeah, for what it, it was something like, um, like tarnishing or them or something. Uh, shoot, I wish I had written down the words because it was so creepy. Um, something really unsettling. Yeah. Um, and so then they have both of the kids at home, and so, uh, she starts to think that the ghosts of these two adults who were in a romantic relationship and, um. And I didn't catch this, but they talked about it in the Switchblade Sisters episode, um, that they were sort of like, as a couple, I mean, we get, not even hints, we get, Miss Gross tells us that Mr. Quint was like abusive and violent and an alcoholic, and also that he was super charming and could kind of get anyone to do what he wanted. Yeah. Um, And that Miss Jessel was crazy about him, even though, like, he treated her terribly. Yeah, Um, like, she says that, she says that, like, he would hit her, but she also kind of says, like, but she's the kind of girl that liked it or something Or, like, like that. she wanted him, too. I don't think the implication was that, like, she was the kind of woman who enjoyed or wanted that. It's that she wanted him to do that because she was, like, so under his spell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but basically, there's a line in the movie that they talk about on Switchblade Sisters where I didn't catch it watching the movie, but Mrs. Gross says something along the lines of, you know... Uh, they would do things in rooms in daylight that, like, as though they were in the woods at night. Like, that, like th- these people were just, like, boning, dra- like, and potentially the kids were seeing it and people were seeing it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, they definitely say that they, that they were, like, fucking and slapping each other around, like, in front of the kids. Yeah. And so now Miss Giddens is Classic worried that- governess stuff. Right. And so now Miss Giddens <laughs> is worried that these ghosts are trying to um, possess the children and she wants to save the children. Um, so this is a testament to how I'm going to be very honest with you right now. I watched this movie last night um, and I love a good classic horror film, but I think um, and I'm a person that gets scared really easily, but sometimes older stuff just doesn't really creep me out. Um, this movie really creeped me out. 
um, such that like I could not go to bed for a while after I finished it because I was oh, so uneasy. Really? And like recording this episode now, I am like I feel very creeped out and I keep like looking around the room <laughs> to be like I'm alone there's nobody else here it's just me um so this movie really uh now I might be going crazy Miles is coming to awkwardly stone-faced kiss you oof that part was <laughs> okay but we were talking about him like he is such a phenomenal actor because he's a pretty young boy and he's asked to act very mature mm-hmm. um and he, I think, I was thinking this watching the sort of towards the end where she confronts him in the greenhouse. And I was like, wow, it's kind of stunning the way he's able to perform this character. Because I just feel like if you tried to tell a kid to act like an adult, it would be a kid pretending to be an adult. Yeah. And this feels like you're watching an adult act in a child's body. It's like very, very, very creepy. He has to act like a, like a controlling sociopath that doesn't Yeah, like like, lascivious, creepy adult, like Yeah, he's very um, commanding. Like, he has a very commanding presence. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. He's tiny, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Wait, also, though, um, you know when um, there's that part where he draws, is it, I don't remember if it's him or Flora. One of them draws a horse for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you remember, um, it made me laugh because this is a little tangent, but um, my first family I work for in Chicago do you remember this? The five-year-old that I took care of, he drew me a picture of a horse mm-hmm. one time that looked like it had a giant penis. Oh, my gosh. I don't remember that. You don't remember that? Oh, I have to look and see if I have it on my phone. It has, like, if I can find this photo, it is, like, just classic. And when I asked him, like, I was like, what's that? And it was supposed to be a stirrup, I think. Um, but I'll have to see if I can find that picture, and we have to put it on whatever Just a really phallic stirrup. We have. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Uh, what else was I going to ask you about? Oh, yeah, talking about how creepy his performance is, there's a part where he's asking... He says something to sort of, like, ask if she is afraid of being in the house or she tells him that she's afraid of something in the house. And he says, don't worry, there's a man in the house. And he means himself. And he's, like, a 10-year-old boy. And it's not funny. It's creepy as hell (laughs) when he says it. Like, also, I would not have guessed that he was 10. Like, he seems younger than that. Well, the character in the book is 10. The actor might be younger. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um. I was wondering, so let's get into, I think um, the book, like I said, I have not entirely finished the book, but the book is definitely written in such a way that I think you can read it, either that the ghosts are real or that she's imagining them. Um, And scholars have argued for a hundred years, which is, which is the case. Um, So this book originally was published in a magazine called Collier's Weekly, and it was published as 12 separate installments. It wasn't like all one story, um, which I think is fascinating. I think that being able to read this in sort of little chunks like that could have been really, really creepy and cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, the, I was reading on online that um, there has been a lot of argument about whether or not um, 
the ghosts are real. And a lot of people argue that Henry James wrote lots of other stories about ghosts that were just straightforward stories about ghosts. And so they basically said, you know, there's there's no nothing to suggest that he wanted this to be um, a story about mental illness or her imagining things. Um, you know, he's he before he died wrote about this story and, they, you know, people have looked through notebooks that he kept and there doesn't seem to be any evidence that that's what he was getting at. But nonetheless, I think because of the way the story is set up, people who worry about female hysteria are going to read it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, In particular, a writer and critic named Edmund Wilson um, very publicly argued that this movie or sorry, this this story, the book um, was about a woman who was imagining things and who went crazy. And he suggested that this happened because she was sexually repressed. And so she just kind of went bonkers because she was horny, Um, (laughs) which is we all like. Right. But I think it's nice because I think even in the movie um, and Jack Clayton talked about wanting to keep it ambiguous, the director sort of wanting it to be a movie that you could watch either way. And I think there are people who watch this movie who think both things. Um, And so I'm wondering if you came down one way or the other, if you felt like, oh, it's only this way and not the other. Like, what was your read on that sort of um, split focus? Um, Well, it certainly seemed like other people were reacting to the ghosts as well Mm -hmm. at times, which made me think that they were real. Mm -hmm. Um, But then um, at the end, you know, like she she was saying that she was doing all of this for the children. Right. And um, when she goes to confront Miles in the greenhouse, she is like, basically saying like she needs to save him and all this stuff but then at the end she's like kissing him oh and we should say that he dies at the end yes um and then she kisses him after he dies and it's not like a little peck no, she like, like kisses him passionately on the mouth which is super, super weird super weird and, and i i did and skip I ahead like, and okay. i don't think it happens in the book like, i was like okay so she crazy so, honestly, after watching it, I'm not even sure. Yeah, I, I do really like that. I think you can read it either way because I agree there were scenes where I was like, oh, it's definitely a real thing. Um, but you have multiple scenes where the thing that really starts to get at her um, in the movie and in the story is the thing that really starts to sort of um, like wind her up and get her more and more tense is that she has experiences where she sees the ghosts when the kids are there and they act like they don't see them. Yeah. Um, and just, like, that idea is terrifying. Yeah. Like, because either way, that is so scary. <laughs> yeah, well, and just um, to think that, like, um, that really anything could be happening, like, right in front of you, but all the people around you are like, What? I don't see it. What are you talking about? Like how unnerving that would be. Right. Um, right. I also, mean, I think it's a really way, poignant Sophie, story I'm about sending, gaslighting. Sophie, I'm sending you the picture. Oh, of uh, the horse. Of the horse. Get a good look at it. I will share this on our Twitter. Um, I can't wait. Speaking of which, you owe our fans your uh, school picture for oh, me to right, put on right, our Twitter right. account. Wait, did you look at it yet? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that horse has a big old dick coming out of its chest? <laughs> wow. 
Okay, because I wanted there to be a payoff to that. Otherwise, I was going to be like, cut the whole horse story. But <laughs> this picture truly is golden. Keep it in. No, we're doing this. This is amazing. <laughs> um, That, wow. I Sorry, that really, like, threw me off my axis. It really just <laughs> broke my brain. Um, okay. Imagine so, being handed, handed it by a five-year-old. Right. Now, I want to really quickly, because since I did go to the work of reading the book, even though I did not finish it in time, I wanted to, like, uh, highlight a couple things from the book that I thought were really interesting, like, in light of the um, in light of the movie. So one of them is that um, there is, like, in the book, uh, Miss Giddens and Flora share a room, and Flora sleeps in like a four poster bed that has like white curtains all around it. Mm. Um, and there's this super creepy scene where she gets up in the middle of the night to go like, I don't remember if she's going to look for the ghosts or like what she's doing, but she gets up in the middle of the night um, and like checks and Flora's asleep and she leaves the room. And when she comes back in, like Flora's bed is undisturbed and the curtains are all closed, but Flora's not in the bed anymore. And then Flora's basically like, I was just tricking you, which is like terrifying. <laughs> um, and then there's another one later. There's another scene later where something similarly creepy happens. Um, so there is this part that I wanted to read you really quick because it just, I think is such an interesting passage that I think reads interestingly, regardless of whether you think that she is crazy or it's real. Um, and what she says is, um, let's see, Re uh, relief arrived. I call it relief, though it was only the relief that a snap brings to a strain or the burst of a thunderstorm to a day of suffocation. It was at least change and it came with a rush. Which I think sort of, like, does a really good job to illustrate the point that she gets to in the book and in the movie where she's just been wound so tight by all this weirdness that, like, because um, she really does at the end when she's confronting Miles and then she they go outside. I mean, that scene is she, whether or not the ghosts are real, she is mad in that moment. Mm -hmm. Like, she is not well. <laughs> yeah. Um, And so just, like, the idea that that that's where she's at. But also I wanted to get your read on this. There's a sequence in the story that doesn't happen in the movie where they're walking to church and Miss Gross is walking with uh, Flora and Miss Giddens and Miles are walking behind them. And he's sort of talking to her and in his like weird kind of like uh, he knows more than he should and he's being kind of inappropriate and just sort of like creepy and smooth and manipulative kind of way. Um, and he says something where he basically says, like, he's talking about wanting to go back to school. And she's like, well, you love Flora, right? And he says that he does. Um, but he says something along the lines of, like, if I, um, oh, but if I, of course I love you and Flora, because if I didn't, like, and just sort of trails off, like, <laughs> in a really threatening way. And so she gets so freaked out and embarrassed and spooked by that that she just doesn't like everyone goes into church and she leaves and walks back to the house, fully planning to pack up and leave before anyone gets back. Um, but when she goes up to the schoolroom to pack up her things, she sees Miss Jessel's ghost. Um, mm -hmm. And then everyone gets back 
And like Miss Jessel, nothing happens with Miss, Miss Jessel's ghost. She just sees the ghost. But then she tells Mrs. Gross, like, I saw the ghost and the ghost told me basically like everything I thought was right. Like she's trying to get Flora and like uh, have power and influence over her. And it's really fascinating because it is another thing that makes it feel really ambiguous because you're reading her account of it and that's not what she says happens. Um, but then that's what she's telling someone else happened. Um, so I thought that was super interesting. Wait, so in the book, that's not what happens? So in the book, she like explains that she sees the ghost and then the ghost sort of looks like maybe it sees her and then disappears. But that's it. They, there's no conversation. But then Mrs. Gross comes home and Miss Giddens says, I saw the ghost and she said that she wants to take Flora and she intends to do so, basically. Huh. Yeah. Um, so it's super interesting. I, I'll be interested to see. We may end up covering this in the future, but um, I did read that it was recently announced that um, – the they're making the haunting of hill house into like an anthology show and that season two is going to be the haunting at Bly manor and it's going to be based on the turn of the screw oh um so i don't know if it'll still be mike flanagan who i think is a really phenomenal horror director who has a really interesting uh vision about things i don't know if he'll still be directing or what but we should keep our eyes peeled for that maybe we'll uh, cover it when it comes out Mm. no too scary you don't like ghosts. So you don't want you wouldn't want to watch this if it was like a anthology series that was based on this story. That'd be too much. I don't know. Okay. Well maybe I'll just watch it and tell you about it. I didn't it. watch Haunting of Hill House because I'm too scared. No, you shouldn't. It would really scare the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I was listening to a podcast earlier where they like obliquely mentioned one of the ghosts in Haunting of Hill House and I was like, Cool, I'm not sleeping tonight. okay yeah see that just that confirms it (laughs) yeah definitely don't watch it um but yeah so do you have oh the one other thing i wanted to mention that we didn't talk about and i didn't get into this in all my like nerdy film stuff at the beginning was that this movie um uh, i you are someone who has a really good amount of expertise in like general film and took film classes in college i did not so a lot of that stuff um is outside of my area of of expertise and knowledge. But I did have a moment watching this movie where I was like, oh, I feel like this movie is using that technique where the background and foreground are both in focus, but I don't know what that's called. So I Googled it and it's called Deep Focus. And the Wikipedia page for Deep Focus was like, notable movies that use this this, uh, technique include The Innocence from 1961. (laughs) Um, And I think they use it to really, really good effect in some of the scenes where um, Miss Giddens and Mrs. Gross are talking and you kind yeah. of can see, like, they are not looking at each other. They're both sort of, like, looking off into the middle distance but facing the camera. And we're kind of watching both of their faces at once. Um, yeah, this movie, I thought, is just, like, very visually stunning. Um, and it really creeped me out a lot. Yeah, I totally agree with you in that. Like, um, you know, like, uh, the scene where she's putting Miles to bed and he mm-hmm. pulls out a fucking dead bird. With a broken neck. With a broken neck. And he's like, I found it like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was Ugh. super creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was another one, too. Oh, yeah. And when she tries to confront Flora about it and she just starts screaming, mm-hmm. um, that was super creepy. Like, yeah, I, I don't know about you. Terrifying. But, 
like kind of like that moment in Midsummer where they all start screaming with her. Yeah. Like something about someone just like unbridled screaming is really scary. Well, we have like a primal response to it because usually when someone is screaming like that, it's because there is danger. And so your brain is going to react like like there is danger nearby when you hear yeah. someone screaming in that way that just feels, I think unbridled is a really good way to describe it. Just like completely out of control. Yeah. And like, um, something, you know, with what you're saying about how they're, if they do the haunting of Hill house or like just bringing that, bringing this into, um, the modern time or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. when, when, uh, what's the name of the other lady who's like the governess? Mrs. Gross. Mrs. Gross. When Mrs. Gross comes out of the room, she's like, the kinds of things that girl is saying, I like, but we don't hear any of it because it's a movie from 1961. Right. Um, so it's kind of like you have to imagine that it's like the exorcist in there. <laughs> right, exactly. But we don't actually see it. We just get Mrs. Gross reactions. Mrs. Gross's reaction to it where she's just like shook to her Super core. freaked out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which was enough to have me be pretty creeped out, honestly. So is there anything else, any final thoughts about the movie? And if not, how many Bloody Marys would you give The Innocents? Um, I think I pretty much covered most of what I had to say. Sophie, I really cannot stress to you how much, if you like this, we have got to watch Night of the Hunter. I'm um, super into that. And I, like, I... Um, have been meaning to watch Rebecca because they talk about it on Switchblade Sisters and I've been waiting to watch it so that I can uh, listen to the episode. So we'll add that to our list. Yeah, Adam, Adam both. Um, yeah, I think I cover most everything. I wrote, oof, more child mouth kissing. Yuck. (laughs) Yeah. After the end. Um, yeah, so she does kiss a child passionately on the mouth twice in this movie which is tough to yeah tough to watch (laughs) it is i mean i think it speaks to the like that is the part where i'm like okay he has to be possessed because Mm -hmm. like there has to be a reason that she has been so like taken with him yeah right um but yeah it's 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 woof it's a lot it's a lot yeah, it's sort of like, isn't it in Freaks where the main couple um, in that movie, or not the main couple, but, you know, like the little people, mm-hmm. um, I don't remember, it's like Greta and Hans, maybe? Um, but they were actually brother and sister. I don't think I knew that. You didn't know that? They're from <laughs> no. like a performing, that's why they never kiss in the movie. Oh, okay. They were from a performing... They're from, like, a family that um, had four children that were all little. Um, and they were... So they were, like, uh, traveling. They did different uh, freak shows and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So when they were looking to cast, like, two little people, they <laughs> cast a brother and a sister. Wow. Um, and in that movie, they're, like, pretending to be in love with each other. Just. <laughs> some vintage movie magic for you. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah. So how many Bloody Marys would you give this movie? Um, I think I would give this movie um, 
four NyQuil's. No, four DayQuil's. <laughs> no. Four Sudafed's and a shot of DayQuil, which is to say four and a half. Because <laughs> nobody marries for me this week, only medicines. I'm going to come out strong and give this movie a pitcher of mimosas, which is the equivalent of five Bloody Marys. Whoa, a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Blammo. Yeah, huge fan. Um, So we will uh, get back to you if and when we watch The Turning. <laughs> we'll let you know how it was. But next week we're going to be discussing, it's almost as though Hannah knew this, what a perfect plug, Midsummer. Um. So if you've not yet seen Midsummer, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime. It's the second movie um, from Ari Aster, who did Hereditary. Um, so, wow, get ready to talk about primal st- screaming and rhythmic breathing and all kinds of other weird shit next week. Mm-hmm. And pie. Yes, and pubes. All the things, really. All my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so in this week, um, in lieu of, uh, in later news, just um, because in the news in general and uh, just a big thing, we're going to skip that section and we're just going to do a moment of silence for Kobe Bryant and his daughter and his family and all the other people who were um, on the helicopter with him. Um because I personally am still just, like, really shocked at such a... to have lost such a legend so mm-hmm. young, especially because he was so active um, in trying to create a lot of opportunities um, for a lot of children yeah, and, um, and, and was a huge supporter of women's basketball. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's really, really um, a major loss. Yeah, Hannah, I'm I'm really glad that you suggested that for this week. Um, that feels like the right thing to do. And I think um, because you and I both went to a Quaker high school, I think that no matter what your religious affiliation is, uh, whether it is you have one or you don't, um, what the Quakers always say um, that I really like when you want to be thinking of or um, or praying for someone or whatever words you want to use, Quakers talk about holding someone in the light. So um, with that moment of silence, we can hold, hold them in the light. Um, thank you all so much for joining us this week. Um, please hug your loved ones and tell them that you love them. Um, and come back to hang out with us next week. <laughs>